All right, everyone, we are glad that you are here. You may be seated. I don't have a repeat of last week. Why not? I enjoyed taking your clothes off in church. <laughs> oh, my bad. So sorry to say that out loud. We're not doing a marriage was series. That on, was that on? That was oh. on microphone. <laughs> well, everyone, we are so honored that you would be here with us. One of the things I wanted to tell all of you men, there's a new movie out. Manny, what's the name of that movie that you think so highly of? Show me the father. Show me the father. It's in theaters right now. Men, I would encourage you to go. Manny says it's the place to be. And so you should make time. If there's, there's so much garbage out there nowadays, you might as well support something that is moral and ethical and encourages men to be men. And so Show Me the Father is out in theaters. We would love for you guys to participate, families, engage, maybe take your sons so that you can teach them the father. Yes, those are my notes. You can have those. Okay. Well, everyone, we're so glad that you're here again. Let's talk a little bit about this epic parenting thing we're talking about. I know there is, uh, last week we, we were talking about this idea of what does it mean for us to be epic parents, and we defined epic parents as, parents as extending beyond the usual or the ordinary, especially uh, in size or scope. So when we talk about epic parenting, we're talking about are you ready as Christians, as, as members of this church or members of whatever church you go to, to make a lasting impact in your children and what it means. And so last week we talked about this idea that you are empowered. I don't know if you got that uh, as we spoke. I hope that you did. But you are empowered. God has empowered you to be the parent. Uh, you don't have to take second fiddle. The government doesn't have the power. You have the power. So we talked about empowered, empowered parents. Parents, excuse me, I'm having a hard time with my words today. Yes. Empowered parents love God with all their hearts. We kind of talked a little bit about that. And then we talked about how uh, empowered parents lead their families intentionally and lead their families spiritually through discipleship and talking about the Lord and, and authentic, they're authentic. They memorize scripture and they're actively involved in church. And then we talked about how empowered parents lead their families relationally with discipline, spend time and rules without relationship were rebellion. We kind of talked a little bit about that and I feel like I'm humming. Is that true? Am I getting feedback, guys? I feel like I am. And then we talked about how you can speak life and blessings on your children. You have been empowered to do that and pray scripture over them and, uh, and parent with the end in mind. So these were kind of the ideas we talked about as we we're talking about what it means to empower you and empower others to be parents. Uh, so often we run across people who are are always apologizing or questioning whether they can be the parent. Matter of fact, many times we see kids running the home and we'll say, why do, why do you allow that? And they're like, well, I just thought that's what you did. And the answer is no. Uh, you are empowered to make a difference. But tonight, we're going to go from empowering to impacting. Epic parenting is impacting. I want you to think about this. Epic parents impact their children, grandchildren, and future generations. You are a high-impact parent. You are a high empowering parent. You have been empowered and you will impact. And we want to make, we want to take that empowerment thinking. This is who I am as a parent. And this is what I need to be thinking about. And tonight we want to give you examples and strategies for how you can accomplish this. How can you be a high impact parent in your child's life? So the first thing is this, we want to impact your children through discipling and teaching them. And we're going to talk a little bit about what 
that looks like. Prayer time is one of the things that we as a family decided to do when it came to discipleship and having a relationship with our children. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what prayer time is. Prayer time for us in our home was not a dad teach kids Bible time. It was a time we started very, very, very young where we sat down in the living room every night before we went to bed and just said, let's pray for what's happening in your life. And our kids would come at a young age, and and obviously when they were little, they were just listening and paying attention. And as they got older, they would share more and more and more and more. Uh, But the idea of this time was where our children could sit down and tell us about their day. In other words, we would say, well, let's pray about your day. What happened today? And we would talk for anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and 30 minutes, and sometimes much longer than that. Uh, And everybody engaged in what that looked like, that idea of prayer time. And it was a big part of our success, we believe, in how we raised our children. Yeah, the purpose behind it was, you know, even if a day was was mundane, we were sharing, but oftentimes bigger things came up in life. And it just gave that opportunity, that window for our children to be able to open up and talk about what was happening. So I just, I went to my shelf. I, all of our journals take up a really a big bookshelf. But I went and I I grabbed just a few. This was our very first journal. (laughs) And um, Jacqueline was six when we started actually journaling. We started when they were younger praying because that's an important part. Just every night with your kids. By the way, there's a journal for every single night. An entry. An entry. Not a whole journal. Well, whatever. There's a <laughs> journaling. But we journaled. What women do. I, d- I don't do that. We, we dated it. And like this was when Jacqueline was taking notes here when she was little and she wanted to take the notes. But, you know, I just, I spent probably a little bit too long going through these. Um, but the power in this, as I read over people that we had prayed for, um, Mr. Perkins um, when Rhonda Damron was still alive and we would pray for her, when Bob Stukesbury was alive and we were praying for his healing, um, so many people in our church family. And what it did is, yes, we prayed, and healing sometimes meant they went to heaven. But then I would have notes that would then talk about how we talked through that with our children. How did we talk about death and how did we, were we able to talk about the hard subjects in life? I found missionaries that we had been praying for because we had letters in here from missionaries. I found devotions that we used when we wanted to teach our children a you know, concept that we had gotten from something else and, and there was a devotion paper in these. And I just, I cannot tell you how priceless this history is, and especially we're blessed because we've been in this church so long, but how many people in this church family we prayed and prayed and prayed for. Um, And so this here created such a legacy for our children and gave us a tremendous opportunity um, to just share life with them and watch God answer prayers, not always the way we wanted, but still he answered them. So again, as Ron said, it was a routine connection every night. When do you start this? I think you should start this when your child are infants. When they are little, start praying with them. They do not understand, but you are creating discipline in your life so that as they get older, you will set aside that time every night to pray with your children. So um, again, start when they're little. Uh, I think it's important to remember as they got older, we kind of had to watch and make sure that it didn't become a lecture time. Sometimes our kids would come up with something and, you know, we might 
kind of want to start lecturing about something and we just, we had to take a step back and realize this is prayer time, it is not lecture time. We want to hear their hearts. We want to try to direct their hearts and be intentional with that. So um, as they get older, be cautious with that. With whatever routines you establish, um, just, just watch that it becomes a safe space and a safe time for them to share all the things that they are facing in life. Absolutely. When we think about this, I, I, I was told I say absolutely every time you finish. That we transition? Yes. So I need a new word, crowd. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Okay. Um, <laughs> Somebody's great. <laughs> I appreciate that, Rob. That was very, very helpful. You know, we also, when we're thinking about discipleship, this idea of not lecturing helps them have that safe space. But when we think about what, we're, what is our goal, what is our goal when it comes to discipleship? What is our goal when it comes to what we're trying to accomplish? We're trying to accomplish as a parent, we must pursue the heart to connect with the children. We've got to pursue their heart. Our job, our goal is to, is to get to their hearts because you can't change their behavior through rules and regulations. You can only change their behavior for the future if you reach their hearts. And so how do you engage with your children is about reaching their heart. Heart to heart because that is how we transfer. Listen, that's how we transfer the dependency from us to their dependency on God. So just be thinking about that as you talk about your devotion time or whatever time you have. Are you doing a good job of just relaying it in such a way that you can have an open time together and you're working on transferring this information? We want them to be checking out all kinds, at all cost. We don't want them to think that church and religion and, and God is just this distant thing that we just do. We have to do these things without talking about how it impacts everyday life. And that's what prayer time was all about. Now, one of the things that we talked about when we were just saying evaluating our own lives are like, what do we do wrong when it came to prayer time? For us, I think one of the things that Crystal and I uh, spoke about is, is actually in, inviting or including a proverb. Something that we build a habit of just saying, hey, let's learn and know these proverbs on top of what we have done. Now, the problem was a lot of times our prayer times were so long. <laughs> you added proverb. I mean, you can't even get through two verses of proverbs without having a conversation. So... Uh, maybe a verse a day in Proverbs or something that just brings a little more spiritual light to it. And I think that we would have, we probably should have done that a little better if we were evaluating our own time. Well, but, I think we talked about biblical principles. I shouldn't yeah, say think. We yeah. talked about biblical principles, but there's so much wisdom in Proverbs. Yeah. And I said, wow, I just, that we would have just read a, tr a, a whole chapter every night. But so that was a lot. That is Anyhow. a lot. That is absolutely a lot. Yeah. So I think that the thing that I need you to get a, take away from this is, this idea of discipleship is something that you do consistently every day. And it, it doesn't have to be as much or a rocket science like you think. It just doesn't have to be as advanced as you think. You're going to find that as your kids get older, those questions are going to get harder and harder and harder and more intense and more personal. Before you know it, as they're older and they're teenagers, I mean, we just shared so much of each other's lives, even our own lives as we're doing the prayer things. And one of the things we did was we made the children write down everything and then they had to pray. They would take turns praying every night the entire list. And they would often say this to us, hey, we've already covered it all. God heard us. Let's say amen. That, that <laughs> I, was never, a common, I never allowed that though. That was a common thing, but we would make them, and a lot of times we'd make them remember by heart. So remember yeah. that, a prayer time, a time set aside, I think is, is how you impact your children. But the next thing is this, to impact your children, you've got to spend 
time with them. And, I, and, and time is not, is spelled, this idea of time is, is the idea of love. How time is equals love to a child. And we talked a little bit about that last week, how we can really waste our time doing things that aren't relative and aren't important, but time is important. So one night, uh, we were over working on a house. We like to flip houses, and Morgan and Spencer were over working on the house. And a neighbor came across the street and started talking. And they made a comment, and they said, that is so neat that your children are here helping you on this project. Our children don't seem to have much time for us. And it was a really sad statement to just hear them say that. But the first thing that came to my mind was, I wonder if they made time for their children when their children were young. And sometimes I think we get really, really busy as parents, and we don't make enough time for our children to make an impact. And then when we get older and they don't have time for us, why is that? So just remember the value of investing in your child because at some point you're going to want them pouring back into your life and getting to see them. I think another important thing when I think about the time is a lot of times when families are busy, it's, I think of it, I use the term um, pit stop parenting. And it's often where in the morning it's yelling at your kids, grab your lunch, a coat, your PE clothes, get out the door after school, do your homework. Feed the dog, clean your room in the evening, take a bath, brush your teeth, hurry up, get ready for bed. And then at bedtime, you know, shut off your light, hurry up, get into bed, I'll see you in the morning. If you're not careful, the value of time in your child's life is just spent barking orders. And that is not quality time. That does not create relationship. So again, children spell love, T-I-M-E remember that. Um, sometimes, you know, a, a reason oftentimes for fathers that you can use, but even sometimes moms, I need to work to provide, to pay off debt, to pay all the bills. I need to work more and harder to get a job, promotion, and make more money. Or I have to graduate and get my degree so people will respect me more, so I can make more money. Then I'll spend time with kids. But by then, they're gone. And so I just encourage all of you as parents, you have time. You have time to do what you choose to do. And in our home, we try to incorporate everything that we did as we will do this all together. And we would travel, I use the term travel, but we would move as a family unit. And so for the most part, if you saw one of the Hoffmans, the rest were somewhere around because we wanted to be involved in what we were all doing. It wasn't okay for dad to go here, mom to go here, a kid to be at home watching TV. No, if there was something going on, we all wanted to support whoever was doing it. We wanted to be at that game. We wanted to be wherever it was. And so, uh, you know, Ron loved a snow machine um, and four-wheeler and four wheels, razor, side-by-sides, all the different things. And so he would take us with him. And I think many times he probably would have loved to just go with his guy buddies, but he made Never. that time. Never. <laughs> well, there were definitely guy ride times. But anyhow, he, he chose our family. And so we would take the kids and we would all get to go out and have fun. Um, we commercial fish. As you guys, many of you know, we do that during the summer. And we have done that from the time our children were little. Uh, Jacqueline was nine months old. 
well, yeah, I was pregnant with her on my first boat ride across the bay in a zodiac, a rubber zodiac across Bristol Bay. I thought I was going to give birth in the boat, but anyhow, I'm just saying, we started off very, very young. Every summer, this is what we do. We commercial fish as a family. Um, we served a church as a family. Uh, and so I guess what I'm trying to instill in you is you have time, make time, figure out what you're doing in life and how to incorporate your family in what you're doing. Um, Billy Graham was asked, if you had your life to do all over again, what would you do differently? And he did not say, I would have planned more revivals. I would have done more mega um, tent revival type of um, events. I wouldn't have opened more schools to train pastors. I wouldn't have been the one training pastors. I wouldn't have written more best-selling books. He didn't say anything like that. When he was asked, he said, I would have spent more time with my kids, abundant time. And he made a great impact, don't get me wrong, but he recognized that the biggest impact that you will make is in the life of your children. And so I just want to encourage you with that. Um, you're going to have to make a choice, and we encourage you to make a good choice. So I have this little example. I know it's kind of funny, but um, I was told one time that when your children are born, I know this is toilet paper, right? Take 18 squares of toilet paper, and this represents your child's life. And if you look at this, there really is not that much. And some of you might be looking and saying, wow, you know what? My kid is four. One, two, three, four. So four years are already gone. Okay? And some of you are looking and saying, wow, my kid only has a few years left. And so this four could be all you have left with your child. My point just is, there's not a lot of time you have to impact your child and they're gone. So how are you spending that time? It's a great visual, and maybe if you just looked at your toilet paper, now all of you are gonna go home and be like, one, two, three. <laughs> maybe you're a roller or a fold, no, just teasing. <laughs> However it is, you're gonna look at your toilet paper a little differently, and you're gonna think, what time do I have with people I love? And um, so when you think about your children, um, think about that and make the most, redeem the time. You know, the scripture kind of addresses time. And I think that a lot of times uh, we don't recognize that. And as we get older, we start to realize that we don't have as much time as we thought we did. You know, when you think about James chapter 4 and verse 14, it says this, uh, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For it is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's so hard for your children to understand that verse. Right? They think they got life forever. Matter of fact, they, can't, they care less about the future. But when you get older and you start realizing, hey, I'm in my 60s. Hey, I'm in my 70s. Hey, I'm in my 80s. There's just not many days left. You look back and think, that was just a mist. I remember the day when. And it's the same thing with your children. If you're not careful, if you don't pay attention you're going to realize that your 80 years is down to 18 years, really, with a high impact of your children. And what does that look like? 18 years. And truthfully, there's a lot less than that, probably. You probably have 14 years of high impact. And hopefully, if you did well, you can extend that for a few more years. But that's the thought. So evaluate your time. Stop delaying what is inevitable when it comes to being a high-impact parent. I mean, decide today what has to go. What are you going to stop right now? 
that's going to give you the time you need to impact your children and your family in a meaningful way. Stop prolonging thinking, if I just, I'm, I was really guilty of that. I mean, if I just finish this one house flip, I'll have more time. If the, the next basketball season, I'll have an assistant coach. I won't be so busy. It never works like that. You have to stop and say, no more time. Matter of fact, the first time that I quit coaching, I, I'll I never just forget that. You know, yeah, I, I think we've already shared with you that. I literally, we were having Jacqueline's 10th birthday and I said, she's 10 years old already? Yeah. Like what happened? I lost the last five years. It, it just, gone. And so I want to encourage you. What is it right now you just have to stop? Stop making excuses. Stop justifying your actions. Do you want to be a high impact parent or not? That's the question. And will you do it? Yeah. So that's, that is a very important thought. But high impact parents also do this. And this is, this is a tough one. High impact parents um, impact your children because they let them fail. High impact parents develop children who know how to fail and have experienced failure throughout their life. It's better to make a thousand failures than to be too cowardly to ever undertake anything. You want to have high impact children, you have to understand this thought. Failure is not the opposite of success. It is part of success. As parents, this is important for us. Failure makes an impact on your children and it's a positive impact when you're there to coach them through it because every one of you have failed and every one of you have responded probably improperly because you did not understand what failure is and how failure plays a part in the success of your own life. And so we want to encourage you to think about that. High impact parents think that way. They do, and they also encourage their kids to try hard tasks. Amen. So you don't want your child to be debilitated in life because you sheltered them from difficult tasks. So I, I thought of one of the things that had happened, and because uh, I'm like, how did we try to teach our children when they struggled with things? And, and probably many of you will go through, have gone through this with your child, or maybe you even struggle with this yourself. But I remember when Jacqueline was a little girl and she was walking through the hall. And this is so tough. I, we call, we use their names. Yeah. I wish I didn't. I wish I would just say one of our kids, but it's I, Jacqueline. She could take it. She can, and and all you guys know our kids, so <laughs> it's tough for them sometimes, probably. But she was a little girl, and she was going through the hall, and somebody said hello to her. And she didn't say hello, and I stopped right there, and I kind of took her hand, and I said, this person said hello to you. And she just kind of put her head down and turned away, and I just said, I just called her out on it. I said, sweetheart, you are acting selfish. Someone spoke to you, and we are kind, we speak to people. You need to say hello right now. It was a hard moment for me as a mom because I was kind of embarrassed that my child was doing that. But ultimately, I had to teach my child and I had to say, this isn't acceptable. You need to learn. So as parents, don't make excuses for your child. Just don't. Refuse to do that. Don't bail your child out if they have done something wrong. Call them out on it in a loving way. I discussed it with her later. I thank that person later. Thank you for allowing me to have a teachable moment with my child. Um, but so maybe there's weaknesses in your own life. And you have to understand that weaknesses in your life will create weaknesses in your children's life. And so maybe there's something you need to work on. Maybe it's hard for you to talk to people. Maybe you tend to think, oh, I'm shy. So maybe it's something you could even tell your child. Remember, we talked about being authentic. Maybe you can tell your child, listen, it's hard for mom, so let's work on this together. 
and then see a way to help your child through um, something that's difficult in life. Parents, you need to realize that real growth happens when children fail. Real growth happens when children fail. And it's important for you to understand that. You don't confuse this thought. You don't confuse hurt from harm. Don't, don't, consu- don't, don't, don't consume yourself like, oh, their self-esteem is going to be so destroyed. If they fail, they'll never recover. That's just a lie from Satan. It's all in how in which you approach their failure. We get hurt. Hurt doesn't always have harm. We value removing all pain, but resilience is a muscle that must be worked. We got to fight through the pain. We got to fight through the, the dis- discomfort. You know, sometimes we have to tell ourselves, listen, slow or hardworking or boring or labor. We don't want this. These are bad words. Sometimes we even talk like these are bad words. Yeah, but they're not. They're not bad words. They help grow your child. Let your kids struggle. I quit wiping their behind every time. I have some toilet paper for them. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I'm amazed. It's like when the kid fails to clean up, Tell him and tell him and tell him, or don't tell him, do some, something else, but make him do it or her, whatever it is, make it, it's okay to be hard. Let your kids struggle to, to have a fight through tough situations. Um, Morgan is one of those people like that. Morgan was one of the people who would never ask for something from the counter. We would go out to eat often because I eat out often. And she, she would not get something. Let's say she forgot to ask for ketchup or she asked, forgot to ask for mayonnaise or whatever. And she would always try to talk her brother or sister into doing it. And we're like, oh no, middle child. Well, Jacqueline would jump up and be oh, like, oh yeah, Jacqueline would already be on it. And we'd like have to pull her back. <laughs> like, no, you cannot do that for Morgan. And we forced her to say, you are going to walk up there and you're going to address a stranger and you're going to ask them for whatever that is. Those are just the small little things that if you're not paying attention, you're doing for your children and you're causing, you're you're ultimately causing them to build habits that you don't want them to have as they get older. Calvin, one of the things that we did for him was that at a young age, he was a teenager and he was, you know, he acted like he had it all together. And so we challenged him, hey, you're going to teach a Sunday school class. You're going to go down and you're going to teach, I think it was fourth or fifth grade bus kids, boys, you're on it. You can do it. You and Randy, you're doing it. And it was like, what, dad, what do I say? You're doing it. And then that drifted into, hey, son, you're a senior in high school. You're going down to the school at ACS and you're going to teach chapel. Like you're going to put a chapel on. You're going to preach the word. You're going to share with them how they can make a difference. And he would just be, it would be so uncomfortable at first. But before you know it, he started to learn how to talk. And then guess what? Now he gets up here and he talks like he knows what he's doing. Like he wants the job or something. But... But the truth is, it was the hard things that we made them do. So you have to be careful. You guys have to be careful when you're doing your parents not to protect them so much that you don't prepare them for the tough things in life. And we want you guys to understand that. So part of not protecting them is don't remove the consequences of bad choices and poor planning. Oftentimes, that's what young people will do. So just to give an illustration on a younger age, Teach your child maybe how to pack their lunch. Go through all the steps. When should I pack it, the night before or the morning of? If there's a perishable item, put it in the refrigerator or does it go by the door? Should you put a reminder somewhere so that you don't forget your lunch? These people are saying, your kids make your own lunch? When they were in kindergarten, yes, I started Did you hear that, parents? Kindergarten, (laughs) made their own lunch. Yes, I did. I taught them when they were in kindergarten. That needed to be their task. 
So anyhow, I, I mean, I taught them. I taught them how to do it, but then they had to do it. So yes, kindergarten, you're, yes, I it was. But anyhow. Um, Starving if they didn't. <laughs> go through a trial run as you are teaching them, but then leave that task to them. And believe me, there was a couple times when they forgot their lunch and the mother in me wanted to be like, oh, I'm going to take them their lunch. And I was just like, no, they have to learn. They have to learn that if they don't pack their lunch, plan, prepare, then they're not going to starve. One meal, they're not going to starve. And they might forget one or two more times, but let me tell you, they won't keep forgetting. Especially they boys. Will, especially boys. They will remember. So real life consequences are the best way to teach your child if then, and that is the statement that I always try to remember. Because let me tell you, the world's going to teach them. The world's not going to bail them out. When they're on a job and they don't get something done, the boss is not going to bail them out. And hopefully you're not rushing to their job to bail them out. Okay? Don't do that. So <laughs> anyhow, teach them responsibility. And if they fail, that has to be the consequence. And it's the best learning tool. You don't scream. You're not an irate parent. You're calm, and they're learning. So those are if-then statements. And um, I think that's really hard. And, and I will tell you guys this about parenting. Fathers parent very differently. Um, so I'm going to be honest. Moms, have you ever been like, this is the way you should parent to your husband? Did you, am I the only one who ever did something like that? Tried to tell my husband how he should parent? Okay, nobody's raising their hand. No other. Oh, okay, there we go. I did get a few moms who are confessing. But yes. No, I, because they don't have to raise their hand because that's the way it happens. Well, there were many times that I would try to tell Ron, okay, and I didn't do it in front of the children. I did not. But when we would get to our bedroom, I would proceed to tell him all the ways that he did not parent properly. And basically, he didn't parent right, which was my way. I'm confessing that. But I want moms especially to hear me. Moms and dads parent very differently. And to this day, while I do get credit for being the one who spanked the hardest, they learned so much more from their father and the lessons that he taught them and the way that he let them fail at times and have to try again, or maybe the sternness with which he taught, those are the things that have impacted my children more than all of moms. And it doesn't make sense to me because I was the one who was with them probably 90% of the time, but Fathers impact their children to a great extent. So dads parent and moms let them parent because they make a huge impact on their children for the way that they do parent. And one of those things that parents do, and I want to just talk a little bit about what you shared so that, that, uh, that there's an issue with what Crystal said earlier about when a kid doesn't bring their lunch. A lot of times we're so embarrassed to hack, you know, we're so embarrassed that they don't have their lunch, we, we, we cover for them instead of just saying, no, it's okay. I can handle the pressure. I'm the parent. You know, we got we to gotta make sure, oh, I'm so sorry. You're telling the teacher, you're telling the whoever. It's okay. Okay. It's okay to be the parent and it's okay to have a strategy that someone else may not agree with you on. Do you hear me? It's okay if somebody else doesn't understand the whole picture of what you're trying to accomplish. So I want to empower you to, to understand that you have the ability to say, you know what, I'm not going to be embarrassed as I train my child. But one of the things that I did that made our children probably is listen to me a little more 
than you are impact because I gave them crazy monster goals. I mean, I was the dad that was giving them crazy things to do and I would never do it for them. And Crystal would be so upset. She'd say, if you would just explain what you want and teach them, they would do it. I'm like, oh no, here's the hammer. Here's the nails. Here's the saw. Here's whatever. We want that build, make it happen. She's like, they don't know how to do that. I said, they'll figure it out. And then we'll just talk about it as they fail. Like, yeah, that's, that's terrible. Now, I'm just letting you know, it was my way of doing it. One of the things that we would do with snow machining is, you, you guys have no idea what I'm gonna say, but I'm just gonna say it because some of you might. I had all Polaris 800 long track snow machines. Every one of them, I had five in the family. Calvin is the only one, he had a little skidoo, little girl, girl machine. He was, he was six. He was six. He was six. He couldn't reach the ground. No. So let's get perspective yes. on what you're getting ready to say. He was six years old. But I will tell you this. Morgan my daughters to this day, Morgan, Jacqueline, I can tell you, we would be, we never took the trail. I don't even know what trail riding is. Like if you're on the trail, that's like a grandma ride. We made our own trails. We would have 10 or 12 snow machines. We're like, we're going. The kids are in the back. They're staying with us. And if they would fall off the trail, oh my world. You ever seen a, a 10 year old girl that weighs hundred pounds trying to dictate where a snow machine that weighs 500 pounds going? It was hilarious, but I was relentless. <laughs> to this day, my daughter will say it was some most scarring moments of their lives. You can do this. Perspective you know? is and our son-in-laws like, will not go riding with him. <laughs> this, but my daughters do. <laughs> Our daughters do. <laughs> daughters will go with dad. I tried that on the son-in-laws. They didn't like it as much. But, um, <laughs> they, they didn't have to prove anything. So they could I'm say, hey, we're not doing this. I'm just you're saying, don't, you grab that throttle and I better not see your hand come off of it. And they're 10 years old holding on to an 800. It's pretty entertaining. <laughs> I but truly this, thought at times they would yes. die. <laughs> the idea though was these big hard tasks. I mean, we just live in a world where we give our kids these pansy little accomplishments and we give them huge credit for just nothing. Stop! Give them a goal that's ridiculous or awesome and then reward that goal. Don't reward, hey, you went to school today and didn't get detention. I hate the merit award. When my kids would come back with that merit award, I'd say, that's just expected. Throw that thing away. <laughs> That's the attitude that I had. And I, I want you to understand something. It's not that I was downplaying good behavior. I'm just saying that's what we expect. So your expectations have to be somewhere where your kids want to perform. You know, when they fail, confirm them, honestly. You know, have that conversation where you, you love them and you're like, hey, it's okay. Failing snow, it's all right. We can do this. We can make it through this. It's okay. After a snow machine trip, I'd have to do a lot of apologizing. Like, you guys were rock stars. He said, you know, dad, in the moment, you, you sounded like you hated us. <laughs> And at the moment, I probably did because I was so sick of digging them out. <laughs> However, it paid off later. I'd always want to tell them, hey, you tried hard. You did well. You exceeded uh, your expectations. You guys are movers. I'm telling you, some guy is going to love you someday about snow machining. It, that didn't actually work. It was a bad line. They I didn't do remember marry that, Alaska though. Like, guys. Your husband is going to be like, you're a rock star. They both hate snow machining. Anyway. <laughs> Think about this verse, Psalms 37, 23 through 24. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. Notice this. When he delights in the Lord's way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. God knows this about you and I. He loves you. He gives you hard things. You fall down. He picks you up. He starts you over again. 
This is life, and this is what we should be doing to our children. It's impacting them in this way. So I want you to, I want you to think about that. Do you have your kids doing the hard things, the tough things? The next thing we want you to think about is this. To impact your children, teach them to work. I, listen, these things that we're talking about, high impact, we can't share with you enough. Teach your children to work before the age of 14, please. Some of the children that I have dealt with haven't worked until they're 21. They get through high school with a job, out a job. They go to college for four years without a job, and then they wonder why they don't know how to work. Guys, taking out the trash is not work. <laughs> or cleaning the bedroom is not work. Work is work. Let's work. Teach our men, especially men, work. Sometimes you teach your ladies to work. They don't like to get married and stay home and have children like mine. But teach them how to work. It's very, very, very important. Give them, listen, give them that edge in life. Give them that edge in life. When a company uh, is laying off people, when they're, when they're finding people to get rid of, your children need to shine. You should be shining. You should be the last person they have to let go because they just cannot lose you because of how you work. Working hard is teaching them a gift that will have an impact on their, your child's life forever and ever and ever. And guess what? Laziness video games and everything else in between, watching television, that will cost them the rest of their life. It'll cost them in their families. It'll cost them in their work life. It'll cost them in their relationships. Just don't do it. Now, I know we live in a media age and our kids grew up in that age, but I just want you to know, none of our kids are play video games. 30 minutes max. You wanna know how you ruin a kid's video game skill set? You make him so bad, his teammates or his friends just kill him every time he plays, he'll lose interest really quick. Like, I ain't doing that. I can't play enough to keep up with those guys. That's kind of what happened to Calvin. It was wonderful. But the bottom line is this, what are you doing? What is it and how are you teaching this idea of work? The Bible has a lot to say about work. The Bible has a lot to say about how we develop a work ethic. Proverbs 28, 19 says this, whoever works hard, works his land, will have plenty of bread, will have plenty in life. But those who follow worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. What are these worthless pursuits of today? Just think about them. You know what they are. What are the worthless pursuits that you find yourself spending time with or you see the world spending time with? I mean, when you have your children doing worthless things and calling it playtime or whatever you want to call it, and I'm not saying we don't have fun, but we spend so many hours on video games, social media scrolling, binge watching TV or getting get rich quick schemes or whatever it may be in your life. You've got to realize that is not high impacting your children. That is not what it's all about. Do you wonder why your family struggles financially, mom and dad, if these are your habits? I want to just challenge you. These are not habits we want to pass on to our children, these idea of worthless pursuits. Proverbs 18 verse 9 says, whoever is slack in his work is a bother, sorry, is a brother to him who destroys. A brother to him who destroys. How about this one? Proverbs 13, 4 says, a soul of the slugger craves getting and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Parents, I, when we're talking about high impact, when we're talking about your, their faith, how they grow as people, work is so important. Find a way. Create a way to reward your children for work. So to do that, we started with our, when our children were young, and probably even when I think of my little grandchildren, probably close to around the age of 
12 to 15 months. You know, little kids love to play in the dishwasher. So I would take out the knives and then I would say, hand me the silverware. And of course, they're handing you all the silverware. Um, and I would say, spoon, fork, spatula, whatever, as they handed it to me and I'd put it away. As they got a little bit older, I would say, just months, literally, hand mommy the spoons, all the spoons. So, you know, reach in the drawer, I mean, in the little silverware container, pulling out the spoons. Then eventually I was getting a little stool and putting it in front of the silverware drawer and I would put the silverware caddy up there on the thing, again, all the knives out, and say, okay, match all the silverware in the drawer. That was, they were little, but that was something they could do. They could unload all the uh, plastic containers, Tupper container, Tupperware containers, and match the shapes. That's so much fun to a little kid. It gives them something to do. It incorporates them into what you're doing. It helps you get something done. It's something little, but you're teaching your child how to do something. I had my little one sit and do laundry with me, fold wash rags. They can fold a square. You can teach them how to do that. A little pair of pants, fold it in half. This is the thing, mom and dad, if, if you're a perfectionist, you have got to let it go when you are teaching your child because those shirts are not going to get in the drawer straight. And if you obsess over that, your child will never learn to do it. You will always do it for them because you've got to have it folded perfectly and on and on. Don't do that. No one is going to die if your child is wearing a wrinkled shirt because they didn't get it folded perfectly and put in the drawer. So teach small things. I taught my children how to make the bed. There were times I wanted to go back in there so badly and like, you know, straighten it all up, but I made myself, no, I cannot do that. They'll eventually get it. So I know those are small things, but start them when they're young. And as we mentioned to you guys, as they get older, encourage them to be working. Okay, that's how you teach responsibility as they are getting older. We didn't give allowance either for things that we felt that our children should do just as part of the family. And I know everybody maybe has a different principle on that. So I'm not here to tell you that that's a wrong thing if you want to reward your child for making their bed. I'm not at all. We personally did not. Our take on that was you are a part of this family. Your father works hard. The least that we can do is show him our respect for what he has done and we keep our rooms clean. We take care of our stuff. And so we didn't reward for that. Um, we really felt that um, we didn't want to give our kids what, um, what, what they should earn, okay? Um, so when we think about that principle as they got older, college was one of those things. And um, we homeschooled our children as they got older. We decided we would homeschool. And so when they started their junior year of high school, they started their freshman year of college. It was a dual enrollment. And so when they finished and graduated as a senior, they already had their first two years of college done. And so we told them, basically, you're going off to college. You have two years to get your degree. If you mess up, meaning if you decide that you're going to leave our home and you're going to start drinking and partying and you're going to, you know, not pass and drop out of school, that kind of thing. That's all your bill. That's on you. But if, if you choose to make the right decisions, you stay in church and ministry, you pass your classes and everything else like that, when you finish those two years, we will pay for your college. If you even get scholarships and you personally work your way through school and you come out and you don't have debt, we will buy you a car. So we wanted to really incentivize our kids, if then. So if they got to school and they thought, you know what, I'm going to party and skip around and do whatever I want, they knew this bill is going to be on me. 
And so I really feel like it made them think a little bit about what they were doing. So the idea behind work and the value of that and helping your kids think through decisions and setting goals and setting things that you can encourage them to do and the things that you won't do for them, I think is just a really, really important um, part of work. I think one of the things that we, again, remember my role was let's make them do hard things. So one of the things that we started to reward them financially for were the hard things. And so I remember when Jacqueline was really young and uh, I wanted all of our children to be excellent readers. That was one of the things that we did. And so we just said, you know, we don't give allowances for just regular work, but if you'll read, I'll pay you a, a nickel a page or a penny a page or whatever it was. And, and uh, that girl bankrupt me. By the time she was in the sixth grade, she was reading 3,500 pages a month. And I'm like, time out. We ain't, we ain't doing that. <laughs> Goal accomplished. You can do the hard thing. On to the next, okay? Um, so we found other ways to incentivize our kids that were difficult. Things that were like, hey, if I really do this. And then we made it worth their while. One of the things that Uncle Mike always helped us with is uh, if they memorize scripture. And, and our kids in, in high school memorized several books of the Bible, and Uncle Mike would reward them for that, and, and, and we were all in on that, and how, hey, this is a hard thing. It's one thing to memorize a verse or two. Memorize the book of John, or the first John, or James, James. James Colossians. Uh, I mean, there were several of them, and I'm like, you guys are rock stars. We're rewarding that. That's what we're going to do. So that's the kind of thinking uh, that we want you to think about when it comes to how you give your allowance or how you reward people. Um, one of the things is this, our lives as we were growing up were, was always involved in flipping and remodeling homes. Our, our children always had to participate when I would buy a house and flip it. And uh, they would start out just cleaning the floor or whatever, but they were always there. They were always present and we made them engage in that kind of lifestyle. Can I interrupt you really fast? So this is truly one of those moments when Calvin is 10 years old and Ron is teaching him how to measure the length of the wall and then what the angle would be for where the other bore would match and everything. And he's like, okay, son, now this is the chop saw. And I, my eyes got huge and I was like, no, he can do all that. And then you do the saw. He's like, no, he can do the saw. And I was like, he's going to chop off his fingers, his hands, who knows what. And, um, I just was mortified. You can sew them back on. No, you actually, you did that to your finger. Yes. Ron has a finger that was sewn on, I, he's right. But anyhow, I did not want to have to do that with one of our children. It's one thing if he wants to have to have that happen, but to do that to our children at 10. But anyhow, um, it was the hard things. And he taught him, like, son, you know what? You, that, that, that's wrong. Okay, get another board. Let's try it again. Um, and so, anyhow. <laughs> yes, those were entertaining times. But it wasn't just that. I mean, we, 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 we encouraged them to work all through time. And, and we found ways. And of course, not everybody has, again, not everybody has these opportunities. But we want you to be looking for these opportunities. One of the things, my boss let me to have Jacqueline, she could come to my office and I, and, and I would teach her how to file. And so she would file at age 10 years old. By 15, I, had, I taught her how to in, enter invoices at a company. Like she's 10 key in. At 15 years old, entering invoices at our business. Uh, Morgan, bless her heart, she learned how to knit and, and started her own little business because they went to these bazaars, the grandma did, and sold some stuff. So she would knit. She created business cards. She was selling things. I mean, the whole idea behind, hey, you can make, you can do some good things. You can be creative. You can engage in this. I mean, there's bazaars everywhere. Teach your kids how to make something and, and go sell something uh, in a bazaar or in, in some other uh, form or fashion. Um, 
before we re recognized, she was getting, she was hiding her business cards out to adults at some of these events. And they were like, yeah, I'd like this hat in purple and blue. And she'd have orders. You know, she's 12 years old. It was the coolest thing ever. And, and one of the things that we, as we were teaching, we realized we, how we applied work to everything is obviously as I was coaching, we took our uh, kids with us on every trip. And we went to San Diego every other year uh, as a basket, with the girls basketball team. And we made our kids earn every single dime to go on those trips and to pay for their own way. And we enjoyed the reward together as a family. And so these are the kinds of things we're thinking. Uh, we want you to understand, but there's something else you need to understand when it comes to work. When you're teaching your children to work hard, don't, don't lie about their potential. There is nothing worse than you selling your children and wasting your time teaching your children uh, that, that they can do something they'll never do, okay? If you're 5'4 and your husband is 5'9, is don't tell your child, oh yeah, you're the next NFL or NBA player, okay? It, 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 the likelihood of that is almost nil. Be realistic. Tell them, hey, it's okay. You can do, you, we want you to be the best that you can be. But understand this, you can have that dreamer goal, but don't set this up as something that is the, the, the be all to be as a child or to, as a person. Sometimes parents find themselves doing that. Help your child learn their true potential. That's your goal, parent. Help your child learn their true potential. Finding different tax, tasks that they're good at, finding their temperament and what, what appeals to them, uh, realize that they have a spiritual gift. What is it? How do we start using it right now as they're young? shaping their way mentally and their understanding of how things work and, and how it works in life. Listen, if we, you start doing these kind of things, when your kids hit high school, when they get through college, the, the stuff that everybody else is just trying to figure out, they're 10 steps ahead of them. And so we want you guys to be encouraged by that and understand that as you're doing these things. Don't, don't sell them something that they can't do emphasize their strengths, build on their strengths, talk about their strengths, and help your children cultivate those things. You must, you must understand this. Your goal as a parent is to teach your child how to relate and engage in an adult world, not a child's world, okay? Our goal is to raise adults, not children who live and stay in childhood. You realize the average person is staying at home until they're 30? <laughs> if your kid's staying home right now and they're under 30, I apologize already for saying that. I'm just telling you, we've got to teach people how to make it in life. Not that we can't help them and encourage them. Listen, we oftentimes would take people to lunch and, uh, after church. And we taught our kids from an incredibly young age something as simple as this. We want you to sit at the table and not be a distraction. And they would do that for hours. They learned how to engage in adult conversations, not being distracted and paying attention. And we did that as soon as we possibly could. So it made a big difference in their lives. It did. It is not our priority to make our kids happy. And I think sometimes as parents, we feel like that is our goal. Mm. Work will not make them happy. It is a byproduct of teaching your children. And like Ron said, when you try to help them learn things that they're good at, surround them with 
Maybe children. Do they enjoy working with children? Surround them with older people. Maybe they like working with older people. But when you help foster things that they enjoy in life, one, when they get into college age, they're not struggling so much with what do I like to do? What do I want to be? You've already helped hone in those skills for them and set them on a path, a trajectory for knowing things that they like. So when they're younger, they might not like work and they not, might not like some of the things that you are having them do, but just remember that. Their happiness is not your goal. And at that point, it's really not their goal. It's a byproduct of what will come about later in life as they learn how to work, as they learn how to use their gifts, um, and then use those gifts to glorify God. And Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ is, of course, the King James Version, so Jesus comes into my mind right there, but the Lord Christ. That is so important. In whatever they're doing, that's what you want to instill in your child. And if they have a bad attitude about it, remind them, listen, one day you might enjoy this, so we're going to try it. And ultimately, you work to serve the Lord, not your happiness, but to use your gifts to serve the Lord. So let's do this. And again, over time, you will give your kids the best gift by helping them be hard workers. Yeah, high-impact parents teach them how to work, but high-impact parents also do this. They teach their children to obey their parents. Let me say that again. It seems to be forgotten. High-impact parents teach their children to obey their parents. This learned behavior is, helps them to understand the authority of who God is. So often parents don't understand that teaching your children to obey you is the fundamental bedrock of what it means for them to learn how to obey and submit to God. When you don't force them or teach them how to obey you, what you're teaching them is that they can choose what they believe or what they're not going to believe about God. Do we not see that in our culture of Christians today? They want to make up their own God. They, they, posit, they, they do whatever they want to do because they were never taught that, hey, obedience is true. Obedience is truth, and I'm going to stick through it with everything that I have. If we don't teach our children to follow and obey Christ... The world, listen, the world will teach them not to. If we don't teach them to obey and pursue Christ through teaching them to obey you, the world will teach them not to. They will teach them everything in opposition to that. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says this, Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise that they, it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Proverbs 19, 18 says this, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Do not be a willing participant in their death, parents, and death not meaning their physical death, but in their lives. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die, parents. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from hell, death, you will change the directory of his life. And of course, we're not talking about out of control anger and beating. Scripture does not mean that. And there's a really great book called Shepherding a Child's Heart that is, is very good. And if, if discipline was something that was very tough for you when you were a child because you had an out of control parent, I encourage you to read that because 
That is not what we are talking about. What we are saying is there is a way to control, be in control and to control yourself and discipline in love. And that is what God has commanded us to do. We just, we read those verses to you. God fearing parents recognize that disciplining their child in love will shape them and teach them to obey the Lord. So our heavenly father loves us too much to leave us where we are. Let's face it, he disciplines us in life. And that is our example for how we need to love and discipline our children. And Proverbs 22:15 says, folly, which foolishness, is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So again, discipline in love, not anger. And if that is something that you struggle with, uh, I, again, the book Shepherding a Child's Heart is a very good book to give you good strategies for how you can apply biblical principles in your parenting. Again, Proverbs thirteen twenty four: whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline them. Love them enough to correct them. Love them enough to correct them. Our children are naturally sinful. We are humans. We are natural sinners. The consequence of our sin in real life is death and separation from God. Why then do we think that it's not important for us to teach our children that their sin or their defiance towards us is a picture of what that looks like in real life? You have to be able to grasp this. Don't spank, by the way, for childish behavior. Don't spank for just being a child. Sometimes parents, they beat their kids for everything. Sometimes they yell at them for everything. Listen, discipline is a tool that we use to be a picture of who God is. One of the things I always used to like about disciplining our children is, and I think I've shared this, I would love when I come home, not every time, but many times my wife would say, hey, you know, Calvin or Morgan or whoever needs a moment. And I would be like, that's so wonderful. This is going to be an opportunity to transform your life. And I would bring him in the room and I would just say, honey, Morgan, she's in here. This is so wonderful. <laughs> Aren't isn't it so excited to get, and they were just like, get it over, dad. I'm like, no, but no, we need to live in the moment. Like this is an opportunity. And I would, you know, give him a little pat. And then I would just talk, you know, don't you think that this will change your life forever? And take that moment to actually teach as you're spanking. Don't just hack and whack. You know, some of you guys just come home and chase your kid around with a stick. No, 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 no. That is too easy. Have a moment. Be the frustrator, not the frustrated. But we want to spank for willful defiance and disobedience. We don't want to spank for other things. And, and I think you have to understand your child, mm-hmm. know ahead. what is going on in their life, what stage of life they're at, and make that decision. Are they directly defying me and being disobedient? Or is this childish misbehavior? And again, natural consequences are the best for childish behavior. And so just remember that. Um, I had read a little thing. It said, have you ever, ever heard a child say the word yes before they said no? (laughs) And I was like, no, that's just our sinful nature. And that's what we're trying to shape in our children, that sinful nature, how to bring it under the submission of the Lord. So I remember this one time. Uh, Morgan must have been a little bit older, but she had done something wrong and 
I, I don't know why, but I said something along the lines like, I'm going to ground you, and you're going to be grounded for a week. I, I actually can't remember the amount of time. But I remember after a little bit of time, she came out of her room, and she just said, Mom, will you please just spank me? I know I disobeyed you, and I really just, I deserve a spanking. And I just, it kind of took Amen. me by surprise. But I thought, there's something that is in God's word, that is in her little heart that knows I disobeyed. And disobedience gets a spanking, and that's what I deserve. And so, anyhow, when you lovingly discipline your children, even your children recognize when they need to be spanked. <laughs> so, anyhow, love them again, as Ron and I said. Love them enough to correct them. Love, enough, love them enough to teach them that we all submit to God. And James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So... Have you ever wondered why your child struggles with sin? Are you teaching your child to obey and submit to God? Because through that obedience, they will learn to obey and submit to God. And maybe you personally wonder why you struggle with sin. So my question to you is, are you obeying and submitting to God? Do you have sin that you can't seem to conquer in your life and you wonder why? Again, we're teaching our children this. We want them to obey God. We want them to submit to God. But if we're not modeling that, remember, our lives are the sermon. Yeah. The other thing is this. The number one key to teaching your children to obey is consistency. Consistency. Let me say that again, consistency. You hear it, consistency, but let's just face it. You come home from work, you're tired, you're exhausted. It's hard to be consistent. You know, you've had, you, you've had this happen, that happen. You just want a moment. Listen, consistency is so fundamental to discipline because it makes the scripture accurate. In other words, the Bible says this, and sometimes parents will say, well, they just need a moment of grace from me. Well, if you're going to take a moment of grace, make sure you take advantage of that, that that's an actual conversation where you say, hey, listen, I just want you to know consistency says you deserve this. But today, just because out of nowhere, I'm going to randomly grant you grace, let them know that experience. Don't just not do something and in your mind say, well, I'm going to give them grace. No, take advantage of the moment. It's very important that you grasp that consistency. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't say something you're not willing to back up. Parents, so many times I hear parents, don't you ever do that and then nothing happens. Don't you ever do I like, then don't say it. There's no consequence. If there's no punishment, if there's no holding to a standard, stop saying that. Understand this. From birth to five, you shape a child's personality. From zero to five. That is what you want to focus on. Now, some of you are like, oh, my kid's already over five. I'm in trouble. Well, we can work on that. Don't say, I'm not here to say it's over. I'm just simply saying zero to five is a lot of work. Be consistent as you can. Proverbs 22, 6, 6 says this, train up a child in the way he should go, I promise you, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's not an every time, it's not all the time. I'm just letting you know this is very true. Your two-year-old pitching a fit turns into a five-year-old throwing a tantrum, turns into a 10-year-old slamming the bedroom door, turns into a 15-year-old sneaking out of the house, turns into an 18-year-old who walks out of your house and never walks back. Understand these things. They build on each other. You cannot afford to be inconsistent and non-present in your parenting and your discipline. It's important. Do not allow your child to wear you down with their pleadings. 
You all know what I'm talking about. They wear you down. Don't let them. Be consistent. So I think the way to apply that is I had what I referred to as if-then statements, which many of you know that from math. So if you made a rule that says your homework must be done as soon as you get home from school. Before we have dinner, your homework needs to be done. If you get it done, then we have family game time. You have to stick to that because if reasonable, they had a time to get it done. If after dinner, they're like, I didn't get my homework done. Then the then part is, well, I'm sorry. You still need to get your schoolwork done and you have forfeited time for family game time. It's if then. So you think about the things that really motivate your child and create if then statements. The value of that is you can be consistent. You can put those somewhere for your child to read as they get a little bit older, but maybe on the refrigerator, and maybe you even talk to your child. You know what, let's talk about this. This is an important thing that you have to do. If you do it, this is what you get, and that really motivates them. If you don't do it, this is what happens. You understand the consequences, great. Mom doesn't have to say anything to you. So then, if your child starts begging, because mom, I really wanted to have family game time, so that they don't wear you down, you simply have to say, I understand. I need you to go to the refrigerator and read what we wrote down. One, it bails you out from having to like give in because you're just like, oh, I just really want to. No, you don't teach your children anything if you're not consistent. So if then, and if you need to, put it on the refrigerator for yourself and walk to the refrigerator yourself and read it <laughs> so that you don't cave in to, you know, to their pleadings. Um, if your teenager, thinking about something for a little kid, if your teenager is a door slammer and they are you know, running through the house and then they slam their door, if then, calmly, if you slam your door again, I will take the door off the hinges. Then, when they slam the door, get the drill and take the, take the door off the hinges. That's what you have to remember. You're not in a yelling fest. Your children do not respect you if you are a screamer and a yeller. Many of you had parents like that, and you can probably say, that did not win my heart. So don't do that to your children, if-then statements. And don't buy the lie that they need their private space. <laughs> Doors are optional. Optional. They can change in the bathroom. Just take the door off. We in our house, we never let our kids ever shut the door while we were home, unless they was changing their clothes. You wanna read a book in your bedroom? That's fine, the door's open. Every time, door's open. No electronics, I'm, I'm not gonna pick on anybody again, ever in the room, ever. No phone, no computer, nothing. You go in there, you read, have some quiet time, spend the moment, draw, write, whatever you wanna do. Door's open and you're not doing anything else. But for so, the most part, it's because we encouraged, we're a family, yeah. we're in the family room. You come out and be a part of the family. If you wanna do things, come sit with us. Yeah. We're not about this, you're on your social media or doing. Well, we were always working, so that was probably part of the problem. <laughs> that is probably yes. true too. But children thrive, listen, children thrive in a consistent environment. Children thrive in consistent, but they rebel in chaos. They thrive in consistence and they re rebel in chaos. Um, that's uh, from two years old, who has different rules. Uh, sorry, how did I say that? Well, uh, sorry, uh, what did you? Well, the idea like this behind one. this is you, you provide a consistent environment. So from the time that they're two, 
if they have a babysitter and you as a mom and the dad and everybody's saying something different and disciplining different, we don't want chaos in a child's life. You, you have to be consistent. Again, that's our, our key is consistent. So even when they're two, be consistent yeah. with, with the, your discipline. Um, or even clear to a teenager who is trying to ma manipulate mom and dad, don't let them do that to you. Be consistent, be on the same page, even as parents. Yeah, so summarizing this idea of discipline. Discipline uh, for direct obedience and defiance. That's what you need to understand. Let natural consequences be the best teacher for childish or immature behavior. And our goal is to change their heart, not just their actions by being consistent. We want to encourage you to do that. Now we have one more thing. We're not gonna have time to do it. Jump to the last part. Jump to the last part, I will do so. Um, let's talk a little bit about, as we close, this idea of impacting our children is a very weighty responsibility. We were gonna talk about the, the one we skipped, just so you know, is, is teach your kids responsibility. A high impact parents teach their kids responsibility, okay? And we could talk about that all night. I love teaching kids responsibility. I, I believe that that's the fundamental part of success for a child, and, and I want you to realize that. But we have to realize that it's a weighty responsibility to raise our children. I think today we live in a society where parents don't take it seriously. That I don't know why you had children or what you think children are, but it's a responsibility. In Matthew 18, 5, it says this, Whosoever re receives such a child in my name receives me. I want you to think about that. Your child, when you engage in the life of your child, it is, you are engaging in God's work and what God would have you to be, do, be doing. But whosoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Just think about Christ when he he's has this child on his lap and, 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 and the, the, the child is a believer in Jesus, loves God, and he's making the statement, listen, if you mess with this, if you fail this position, it would be better for you to be dead. That is weighty. That is serious. That is not hang out and watch video games, hang out with your buddies, do whatever you want. No, this job is important. Taking your parenting seriously is, is enough to have it change your life. When you have children, it should change your life. If you do, you will be saying these words about your children. Notice what the father said about the son when it comes to God and Jesus. Behold, a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you want to be well pleased with your children? It takes having a high impact attitude. It's not on accident. You have been empowered. You have the ability to make a high impact. What will you choose to do? I hope you are watching by internet or television or whoever hears this on you in the auditorium. I want you to know something. We can make a difference. And it doesn't take 10 generations to do it. Mm -hmm. Generations rise and fall in a single generation. In a single generation. Will we decide that we're going to stop the average, stop the easy, stop the personal life of success and lose our children? I hope your answer is no. I hope your answer is no. And so I, we want to depart with that thought. We want to be praying together. We want to be praying for our kids. We want to be praying that we make an impact them. And I hope that you'll join us as we pray right now. Let's hold hands with our spouses, our wives, our family. Family. If you're single, hold your own hand. 
you have hope. They might have friends. They might. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you that it is uncompromising and it is delivered to us in a way in which we can know it and learn it. And Lord, when we think about our children, Father, I pray that we would have a vision and a mission to make an impact in their lives with your word. The way we treat them, the way we engage them, the way we challenge them. Lord, we want to be those parents who are excited about being parents and are taking on the challenge to make young champions for you. People who make a big deal about following you. People who are making an impact in this world. Lord, help us to be those parents. And help us, Lord, when we get tired, when we're worn out, when we're distracted by the world, when we're caught up chasing jobs or money or too busy. Lord, we have to stop. We just have to stop and remember what our lives are all about and what we expect when it comes to bringing us joy and happiness and what that picture looks in a relationship with you. We thank you and we praise you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen.